Freedom of speech. Fundamental rights. Freedom of uh, conscience. Academic freedom. Freedom of press. And the right to listen. You're listening to So To Speak, the free speech podcast brought to you by FIRE, the foundation for individual rights in education. All right, welcome back to So To Speak, the free speech podcast, where every other week we take an uncensored look at the world of free expression through personal stories and candid conversations. I am your host, Nico Perino, and I'm back in FIRE's Philadelphia studio today to chat with my colleagues about FIRE's 2019 10 Worst Colleges for Free Speech list. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Nico. I guess I should introduce you all. This is Will. Will is the Senior Vice President of Legal and Public Advocacy here at FIRE. And across from him is Sarah McLaughlin, who is a Senior Program Officer for Legal and Public Advocacy. And next to her is Adam Steinbaugh, who's the Director of FIRE's Individual Rights Defense Program. So before we run down this list, we should probably get a few preliminary items out of the way. Uh, What is the list? Why we do the list? uh, How we structure the list? Let's start Oftentimes, we'll put the list out there on Twitter, and people are like, oh, my university is the worst college for free speech because it happens to appear first on the list. Yep. This isn't the case, right, Will? I mean, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we did have a little bit of discussion of, of order, but no, they're not presented in terms of severity. You know, there's no Richter scale that we can say, oh, you got an 8.8, you're at the top of the list. I think it is uh, important for every school to know that they earn their spot. And no schools uh, are better than others. If you're on the list, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And, and Sarah, we include both public and private colleges on the list. It's part of FIRE's mission. We look at both public and private colleges. But there's an important caveat to that, right? Uh, are you looking at Liberty? Is that what you're <laughs> Yeah, well, we can, get, we can get started and talk about <laughs> Liberty University, which is one of the schools on the list. And... and um, one that you've written about in the past for FIRE. Well, Liberty is an, an unusual one this year because uh, normally our list is for public schools, which have to abide by the First Amendment, and private schools that promise free speech. Um, Liberty is kind of an interesting one that's on here this year because Liberty does not promise free speech in its policies, but uh, its president, Jerry Falwell Jr., has made um, a pretty strong statement that his university, I can actually read it for you. It's a good one. Yeah, he says it's not like other universities yeah, in the country he, who censor speech. Yes. Um, or that censor speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said, like, unlike liberal schools, we don't censor conservatives for speaking out. We don't censor things like that. Um, but as it turns out, Liberty mm-hmm. does indeed censor, unlike what Jerry Falwell Jr. said. For a few years now, uh, the student newspaper, uh, Liberty Champion, has mm-hmm. been under pretty severe censorship by the administration. It, it started in 2016, according to this report from World Magazine, which I believe is a Christian newspaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it started out um, when a student tried to write about Donald Trump's leaked Access Hollywood tape, where he bragged about grabbing women's genitals. A student tried to write about that, and Falwell Jr. was not pleased, so he cut it because he didn't want that in there. And these kind of things have continued happening uh, into 2018. Um, a student tried to write about unmarried pregnant students. It was censored. Um, another of his articles was censored. Uh, it actually culminated in the dean of the School of Communication and Digital Content, Bruce Kirk, uh, giving this really incredible comment oh, to yeah. staffers. <laughs> but read it in full because the entire thing is amazing. Your job is to keep the LU reputation and the image as it is. Don't destroy the image of LU. Pretty simple, okay? Well, you might say, well, that's not my job. My job is to do journalism. My job is to be First Amendment. My job is to go out and dig and investigate, and I should do anything I want to because I'm a journalist. So let's get that notion out of your head, okay? Uh, like I so, have that tattooed on my arm now. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to write to Liberty uh, in August of last year and explain to them, you know, you have your president saying that Liberty is a school that respects free speech and doesn't censor students. And then you have a, a dean of your communication school telling students their job is not to, quote, be First Amendment. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so that is going to lead to some confusion for students, um, as it clearly did to the staff of the Liberty Champion. Yeah, and, and typically with these sectarian schools, these religious schools, if they make it clear to their students who matriculate there that they place other values above freedom of speech, like for example, at Brigham Young University, you have to wear your hair a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it's your free association right 
to congregate around those ideas. But if you're going to signal and put in your policies that this is a place where you can expect free speech protections and academic freedom protections, um, then you have to live up to your advertising. You can't, you can't say one thing to get people through the door and then sell them a bag of false goods. Sure, and that's why we even have the leader statement database where we collect comments that uh, like presidents, vice presidents make about free expression, academic freedom, so students have an understanding of whether or not their school's policies and the leadership's advertising of the school are offering two different things. Yeah. We should note, just before we leave, that we, you know, as Nico says, respect a private university's right to place other values above free speech, but we list those schools as warning schools in our database to let students know that just a heads up before you matriculate, before you enroll, be advised that you are checking some rights at the schoolhouse gate. Yeah, yeah, and Liberty absolutely has the right to make that decision, and students have the right to be in that environment if that's what they choose, but right. Jerry Falwell Jr. is kind of uh, putting some uncertainty here to students about what their rights actually are when he makes these statements about free expression on their campus. Yeah, mm-hmm. trying to have it both ways. That's right. And they, uh, Liberty's response to, or not response because they never responded to us about this, but their uh, take on this is that, well, we invite uh, speakers of different views to campus, which is great, but that's not committing to free speech of students. You can't view the student newspaper as uh, a, a PR outlet just to put a positive spin on the university. If you're going to give people student uh, or, or freedom of speech, then you have to accept the fact that the student newspaper is sometimes going to say things that you don't like. Yeah. So with that out of the way, the private-public distinction, yeah. the list isn't ordered. Uh, let's talk about some of the repeater, repeat offenders on the list to begin here. And one of those is Syracuse University. It's, it's been on this list before, or it might be it was our red alert list that it was on. Uh, it's definitely a case or a school that FIRE has had a lot of dealings with in the past. For example, it expelled an education student for his Facebook posts uh, and investigated a law student for a satirical blog. Uh, it threatened to censor students' Halloween costumes. It maintains an increasing number of red light restrictive speech codes. Uh, but this past year, it suspended a group of students in the Theta Tau engineering fraternity on campus and they, these students had participated in a private satirical skit in which they roasted each other, and some of it used racially charged language. I mean, it was racist. And the thing is, is that they were satirizing one of their conservative brothers. So they went, they said, okay, this guy is a conservative, he's a Trump supporter, we're going to go to the nines and make him as, you know, as racist and xenophobic and homophobic and, you know, just a complete jerk as possible for the purpose of this internal skit, right? So they took his uh, views and satirized them. Yeah. And this was a private in-house fraternity roast and got leaked, taken out of context, you know, it exploded. Yeah, I mean, if some people here might not be familiar with roast, but this is a, a common device in roast. Like the, Jeff Ross, the Roastmaster General, he'll go up there and he'll just pillory people. Is that a government? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's what he's been termed because he goes on uh, Comedy Central and does yeah, what these roasts. Roastmaster General. Roastmaster General. But he actually did a roast of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and one of the things about the roast that allows it to work is that you're usually roasting friends or people you like, so it, it doesn't feel as though that what you're saying has any animus. It's like satirizing their character. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah. I mean, in any yeah. case, the speech was protected under First Amendment Yeah, standards. now Syracuse is a good thing we just covered, public-private. Syracuse is private. Um, but they have the text of the First Amendment printed in big old letters on the outside of their SI Newhouse uh, School of Journalism. So I think that they'd have... At least more than just this kind of superficial nod to expressive principles. But no, uh, they ran with this one uh, pretty hard, and these students are kicked out. Yeah, and they sued, though. Yeah, there's litigation working their way through the courts. Uh, currently working its way through the courts. That's right. So this is a repeat offender, an- another case last year. Um, another school that's a repeat offender on the list is Georgetown University. Although, Sarah, not in the way one might expect, right? Sure. So we actually have Georgetown University's Cutter campus as the worst school this year, one of our 10 worst, not the worst. Um, it's, it's for something that we discussed back in October uh, when the school canceled a uh, student debate about whether or not God should be portrayed as a woman. 
seems like a pretty typical thing for students to debate on a campus. Um, but the university uh, originally claimed that um, the event wasn't sanctioned and that's why it was canceled. And that's a pretty typical thing we see here when a school is trying to cover up for you know, censoring a student event. It wasn't sanctioned. Um, yeah, it was all administrative, <laughs> yeah. you know, mm -hmm. bureaucratic mess-ups. You can debate whether or not God is a woman all you want. You just have to fill out the paperwork. Right? You just have to get it sanctioned first. It's got to get sanctioned. Um, but then they put out a later statement um, <laughs> kind of admitting that that debate wouldn't be sanctioned anyway. Yeah. Um, they put out a statement that said... GUQ is committed to the free and open exchange of ideas while encouraging civil dialogue that respects the laws of Qatar. As we pointed out in our writing on this, the laws of Qatar have a very different idea about what the free and open exchange of ideas is than most students would expect on a campus that promises free expression, as GUQ does. Specifically, Qatar has a blasphemy law, yeah. um, which would very obviously be violated by a debate on whether or not God is a woman, for at least some people's point of view. So, you know, we had some concerns about this, um, and we felt that if GUQ is going to be making these promises to students about um, how they can expect to have the free exchange of ideas on campus, but then they're going to get there and they're going to find out they have to abide by a blasphemy law on campus, they're kind of selling a lie there. That's not what students are going to have. So, you know, freedom of speech is important to us as a normative value, so we'd encourage universities to ensure that their partnerships overseas also kind of take into consideration these, these fundamental values that we think are important to a robust liberal arts education. But to the extent that they can't, they need to be honest. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what we said in our uh, commitment to campus free expression at home and abroad, our mm -hmm. statement that we released last month, uh, where we argue that schools should do their best to um, represent these important values and to not make any commitments where they won't be able to provide them to students and faculty. Um, but if they are making these agreements, they at least need to be honest. That's like a basic thing that they it's should like give Falwell, their students. Jr. Exactly. Kind of yeah. yeah, if you should at least be transparent about the campus experience you can really provide to students. Uh, and GUQ failed to do that here. And Georgetown, I kind of hit to my hat to this earlier, has been on this list before uh, with the uh, it wouldn't recognize Hoyas for Choice, which is a pro-choice student group. Mm -hmm. uh, one year, another year, they censored the Bernie Sanders group on campus by preventing them from tabling at the mm -hmm. law, school, law center. Uh, so a repeat offender in the same way that another school on this list, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, is making its second appearance on this list in as many years. Adam, can you eminent domain away someone's mm, free speech rights? No, you cannot. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and anyone arguing that should be shamed. But Rensselaer Polytechnic <laughs> Institute did. Yes, they had a couple of security guards who stopped some students who believed that they were passing out uh, buttons uh, and uh, pamphlets uh, on what they thought was a public sidewalk. Uh, and this was outside of a hockey game uh, on the campus of uh, RPI. Uh, and the officer stopped the students and said, uh, you know, you can't be out here. You need to have permission uh, in order to distribute things out here. And the students said, look, we're on a, a public sidewalk. You can't stop us. And the officer said, no, nope, uh, because of eminent domain, uh, we have the right to control this sidewalk. Um, and they're yeah. totally right. <laughs> <laughs> eminent domain is a, uh, a term found in the Constitution or it's a constitutional issue uh, involving the government seizure of property for uh, public purposes. Um, Usually to build a school or yeah. a road or something. It's not to control who can pass out a button on a sidewalk outside of a hockey game at night. Um, but, <laughs> you know, even, but points for creativity, right? <laughs> like, you know some law words, you got to use them. Yeah. Even accepting the uh, idea that the uh, RPI security officers could control this space uh, because it was adjacent to or on the campus, RPI's policies say that um, you, you know, if you want to reserve a space on campus and exclude others so that you can engage in expressive conduct, then you need, you need to get permission. Otherwise, you should just be able to pass out a button on uh, a sidewalk. That's uh, the, the, the uh, core of free speech. Yeah, um, isn't that against the rule, against perpetuity, so <laughs> handing out buttons? I mean, what's next? Quartering soldiers. <laughs> um, I think there are some tariffs on this that we need to discuss. Is that a substantive due process right or what? 
or privilege or immunity. Listen, if the students were passing out buttons to try and raise an army, that's right. properly the province of Congress. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm glad we got that cleared up. But this is a, this is a pattern at RPI. Yes. And, and, and the students were handing out buttons in protestation of the university trying to take over the student union. Eminent domaining it, you might yeah, say. Yeah, eminent domaining it, which they've been trying to eminent domain for years at this point. Yes, that's true. Uh, the student union there has been around uh, for about a century, uh, and it's uh, one of the very few left in the country, if not the only one left in the country, that students uh, are supposed to control. Uh, and it's really a preeminent organization, one would say. It is. <laughs> it's properly the domain of the students. Uh, so uh, the uh, institution has been uh, trying to um, increase their control over this uh, organization and this, this student union. Uh, and the students have been trying to, you know, quote unquote, save the union. Um, it's straight out of an 80s movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have these, these uh, people who are acting like cartoon villains trying to crush the voice of the students who are trying to save their union. Um, mm-hmm. It's absurd the lengths that this institution has been going to uh, to try and stop this. Um, and, you know, hopefully uh, they will wake up one day and realize that their policies keep getting them into trouble. Uh, they keep invoking the Streisand effect. Uh, and hopefully they will reform these policies. Do we know what they want to do with the union? The Make money admins? out of it? I'm thinking they want to, like, if, if it's going to be an 80s movie, they like bulldoze it to create some, you know, terrible new condos or something like that. Like or a, a parking garage, maybe. Par- parking garage. <laughs> Call Hayden Barnes. Hayden, you watching the this Lasta one? State University. Yeah. Uh, we have one more school that uh, makes a repeat appearance on this list. A couple years ago, in 2013, Dixie State University in Utah oh, man. was on this list um, because it tried to ban the use of the Greek alphabet. It said, yeah, you can have a fraternity or a sorority, but you just can't use the Greek alphabet to mm-hmm. name your fraternity, Sigma, Alpha, Epsilon, or whatever. Dixie State. Yeah. So throwback for those of us who have been here at FIRE for a while. It's also, we sued them. Yes, we did sue yeah. them. They had a free speech zone, yeah. and uh, they confined student speech and the passing out of flyers to that, that free speech zone. We, uh, we sued them in 2015 and, and settled the lawsuit and reformed the free speech zone policies. That's right. That's right. Uh, but most recently... <laughs> Dixie State University, which we should note for listeners and viewers, is in Utah. Yes. And if you want a fun... Well, fun is maybe not the right word, but an interesting three-minute excursion to Wikipedia. Check out the entry about how Dixie State got its name. Because Utah was not fighting for the uh, Confederate States of America. Utah and Dixie are kind of two foreign concepts to each other in Hmm. terms of history. So I won't spoil it for you, but it's worth the time. You got one thing wrong. No Wikipedia excursion is only three minutes. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's true. And no, dis- no discussion of Dixie State is just three minutes either because <laughs> their, their misdeeds compound each other. Yeah. Uh, so to kind of tell the story of why they ended up on this year's list, we need to start with what happened in spring of 2018 when they abruptly fired a tenured music professor named Ken Peterson. Yeah. Uh, he was terminated along with another faculty member for discussing the college's tenure bid process. Yeah. Uh, inside higher ed, one of the trade publications in the higher education space reported that there were widespread concerns uh, within the faculty at Dixie State that the charges were trumped up and they were seeking out the out the professors for political reasons. Um, I don't know that either way. That's just kind of part of the conversation on campus. In any case, the Utah system of higher education ruled that Peterson should be reinstated. And uh, Dixie State said it wholeheartedly supported that decision, although it didn't when it fired him. Uh, the university, in seeking to process the reinstatement, presented Peterson with a wildly unreasonable last chance contract, which placed as a condition of his reinstatement that he would be stripped of practically all his free speech and academic freedom rights. Yeah, yeah. They said to him, you can come back, but you can't talk poorly about the school. And there's this kind of uh, laundry list of Verbs. Have we ever seen that before? No. Uh, John, John Carl Wilson over at uh, the Academe blog said it's one of the most extreme violations of academic freedom and free speech he's ever seen. Yeah, it, I mean, it's up there. You know, uh, John John is right on point with that. Uh, 
the wild thing is that, so yes, yeah, as Nico says, so you have the, the professor fired under dubious reasons. Uh, faculty says, this is way too harsh. You can't fire him. Mm-hmm. U- uh, Utah State uh, Review uh, says, okay, you shouldn't have fired him. You can impose uh, some kind of agreement to make sure he doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And then Dixie State's council comes back with this extremely restrictive uh, agreement and basically wants him to check all his rights at the door. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. The interesting thing for us is that when we were writing a letter uh, in defense of, of Professor Ken Peterson, um, a, uh, the Ninth Circuit handed down an opinion. Uh, this is almost, the circuit that covers California. And you, does it cover Utah, too? I think oh, it covers Arizona as well. I think Utah is Tenth Circuit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, but it comes down with the decision almost exactly on point where a public employee was asked to sign a last chance agreement that was also incredibly restrictive. And basically the court says, look, you, you can't force people to uh, give up constitutional rights as a condition of taking their job. You can't say, you know, yeah, you can come work for us, but, you know, let us just apply this muzzle to you. you Is that, would that be called an... Or could it be argued that that's an unconstitutional condition? Actually, it's a great example of eminent domain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's no good. So, and it's not the only thing that they were doing. Yeah. I mean, there was, they're also in a fight with the student newspaper mm-hmm. over access to public meetings and records. So, I mean, this Dixie State has been on our watch list since 2013. I should, I should add that they didn't want Greek letters to be used in any student organization's name because they didn't want to be perceived as a, as a party school. So, uh, Always unique justifications for censorship. But our next school, the University of Wisconsin System, this is a oh. school. Will's teeing it yeah, up let me, here. Let me get it. I just <laughs> want to make sure I get it exactly right. Uh, the University right, of Wisconsin right. System is a, is a system that adopted the Chicago Statement on Free Speech for all of its schools. I mean, this is the gold standard free speech statement that FIRE has been pushing since uh, the University of Chicago produced in 2015. But here last year, they go and, um, well, they try well, and prevent a... a a sex educator from speaking on campus. I, I want to start not in 2015, but actually all the way back to 1894. Oh, and, here it goes. <laughs> Old man Creeley <laughs> leaning back you in know, his chair. And well, so the University of Wisconsin system is justifiably and rightfully proud of its commitment to quote unquote sifting and winnowing. And it dates back to a decision made by the board of the University of Wisconsin system back in 1894 when they had a uh, professor who was uh, advocating uh, either socialist or anti-industrialist views, and there was some pressure, I think it might have been even internal pressure from another member of the board. Um, you know, boards often in these times are made of kind of industrial tycoons and barons, and you know, they didn't That's like this guy. Vanderbilt University, Stanford, right. Duke, yeah. You got it. And so by industrialists. You know, they, were, they were nervous that uh, or this this particular uh, individual was nervous that this professor was, r- you know, uh, rousing the, the rabble. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, t- telling the workers of the world that it might be in their interest to unite. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and and so he said, "Look, you got to fire this guy." And the board said, "Actually, no, we're not going to do that. Here at the University of Wisconsin system, we are going to stand for uh, academic freedom, uh, sifting and winning winnowing of ideas in order to find the truth." So it's this great long-standing history. They've got it up on a plaque famously at their Madison campus, their flagship campus, and they're proud of it, and rightfully so. And as you say, they adopted uh, a Chicago statement. Uh, there's also been the backdrop of uh, state legislation, uh, campus free speech legislation, uh, parts of which FIRE had issue with, uh, parts of which we supported. Uh, we have explanations of that on our website. Uh, but, you know, you have a lot of legislators and system admins paying a lot of lip service to the greatness of uh, freedom of expression. So, taking them up on that invitation and believing that the commitment to free speech was a good and admirable thing and should be taken out for a test drive, uh, the chancellor of the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, a man by the name of Joe Gao, invited a sex educator and former adult film star named Nina Hartley uh, who's also a nurse, so don't want to sell her short, uh, to come to campus to give a lecture as part of the lacrosse campus's free speech week. And the lecture was on, uh, I want to say, the something like the myths, or the illusions of the adult film industry. It was yeah. a critical examination of, of adult films. And it was well attended. Students asked good questions. Seems like it went off without a hitch until the president of the University of Wisconsin system, uh, a guy named, I think his first name is Randy, Ray Cross, Ray Cross, 
uh, caught wind of it and wrote a scathing letter to uh, Chancellor Gao. Um, he's effectively Chancellor Gao's boss, saying that uh, he had personal underlying moral concerns. Uh, but even setting those aside, he was deeply disappointed by Gao's decision to actively recruit, advocate for, and pay for a porn star to come to the lacrosse campus to lecture students about sex and the adult entertainment industry. Uh, in, the, in the classic phrase of every censor, he said, you know, we have a commitment to freedom of expression and public discourse. But! But! As <laughs> <laughs> Chancellor, uh, he said Gao needs to exercise better judgment with, when dealing with matters such as these. You know, in other words, yeah, you've got free speech up until the point you, you invite can sift, someone. But you can't win. Out. That's right. You can sift. <laughs> a lot of sift, but no one. You have free speech up until the point you invite someone to campus who offends me or maybe others or maybe powerful people in the legislature. Who knows what? So free speech is nice, but you know, leave it in the garage. This is kind of an old school throwback case, like RPI. I mean, the Comstock Act. Is right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no it's, longer exists. It's been ruled unconstitutional. I mean, the Comstock Act was the the act passed in the 19th century. Yeah, this is straight up, you know, classic 1980s movie censorship, right? Moralizing. Like, well, we can't have that around here. So it wasn't just uh, a letter, although that letter was p placed in Gao's personnel file. It was also... What, didn't uh, get a raise? Didn't get a raise. The letter will be considered in all future financial considera or, um, uh, compensation considerations. He's also having his uh, discretionary fund audited. I mean, it is a chilling message to not just other chancellors, but also all faculty and students uh, within the University of Wisconsin system. Uh, yes, you have free speech, but only if that free speech comports with the president's uh, underlying moral concerns or you know some unspecified imagination of what it is okay to talk about. It's textbook chilling effect, and I, for one, find it outrageous. I think they earned their spot on the list, and they should be ashamed. It was a pretty high-profile case, too. I mean, it was covered in a lot of state media. Yeah, I, I, I'll just note the same thing I've been telling reporters about this one. I, a lot of the um, reporting, you know, is focused on Hartley as former adult film star, and you can see in that quote I read from Cross, you know, he's called he's a, yeah, on, porn yeah. star. But, you know, she, was, she has a much broader resume than that, and it's reductive and, I think, demeaning and, and really kind of... Um, uh, uh, an insidious example of spinning to just say, hey, this is porn star on campus. I mean, it, it, it suggests that there's something else going on, you know, when she's there to get deliver a scholarly lecture. Uh, but even but aside from that, I mean, the porn industry is a multi-billion dollar industry sure. that has yeah. a lot of cultural capital, for mm -hmm. better or for worse, whatever your belief is, mm -hmm. in the United States. And the idea that oh, you yeah. can't discuss it or you can only discuss it without the principle. Oh, yeah, to be clear, know. like if she, if she, if she was quote-unquote, just an adult film star, right, and that was the, the sole credit on her resume, she can still come in and talk all she wants, right? I mean, that's the point. Uh, we've defended, actually, adult film stars coming to campus in other contexts. Um, James Dean at Pasadena State College, I want to say. Yeah, I, I remember that. I, I, vaguely. We do. We, I know we've had these cases could, before. Yeah, that was a while back. We could put together a little mini-segment on cases that fire has defended involving the adult film industry. That would be... That'd be yeah. worthwhile. Anyway, but yeah, so it's a bad case. They are in their spot. Next. The next one, the next one is another high-profile case, perhaps the most high-profile case on this list from last year, and it's the University of Kansas case. Oh. Uh, for those not familiar with it, on July 11th of last year, Kansas officials removed an outdoor, and when I say Kansas officials, I mean administrators at the University of Kansas, removed uh, an outdoor flag art display that appeared on campus, and they removed it under pressure from uh, Gov uh, Governor Jeff Collier and other politicians, including, I believe, the Secretary of State, who demanded that it, quote, be taken down immediately, and they argued that, quote, it was disrespect a disrespectful display of a desecrated American flag on the KU campus, and this is absolutely unacceptable. Former uh, governor, right? Pretty sure. Longer governor. Censorship does not pay. Yeah, well... To describe the flag a little bit, it was a stylized flag uh, meant to reflect a deeply polarized country. So it was an American flag. It had, like, was it a picture of the United States? It was, I think it was a dripped painting on top of it, like a dripped black painting. There's a sock there, too, I think. And there was a sock. Yeah, and it was part of a rotating art exhibit that was happening all across the country. And I think that Kansas had even participated in previously. Mm -hmm. Every uh, month they got a new flag, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but I don't think all of them were the American flag. No, I think they just different variations on it. Yeah, we've got a write-up of it on, on, on the website. Um, 
Anyway, it reflected a deeply polarized country. That's what the art was, was um, meant to do. I don't think she knew how polarizing her flag would be uh, because while KU officials, Kansas officials initially defended it against efforts by the governor and the secretary of state and other people within the state to take it down, uh, they ultimately decided to move it. And they moved it inside away from its original and intended location on an outdoor flagpole to sort of placate the demands of the state officials here. And, and this is a problem for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, is behavior that gets rewarded gets repeated. And if you're a politician, you hold the bully pulpit and you call for censorship and you're you know, waving the, the purse over this university in a time of contracting universities' budgets um, and they don't cave, well, it, it, sends, it sends a chilling message and a bad, and a bad precedent. And it, and, um, it's also part of you know, just a broader culture in which we're seeing art threatened, right, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, you wrote the art, art censorship report. Yeah, it came out. Actually, I think the, the day before. KU <laughs> yeah. story happened uh, the next day after we issued our art censorship report. Um, I, it's been something I've been noticing um, just more and more. Um, you know, that's why I wanted to write the report because I felt like, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think a lot of people at FIRE feel this way. We feel like there's a lot of stories about campus censorship that don't get the same attention and that people don't realize are happening. And I think art censorship is one of those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been happening more and more often. Yeah, the, the flag, so the governor was calling this flag desecration. Uh, even desecrating a flag, regardless of what you think this art was, is protected by the First Amendment, right, Will? I mean, this is... Last time I checked, but that's, that's about half an hour ago it was. So. <laughs> you could burn the American flag. I'll, I'll check my Twitter feed when we get out here, but as of right now, to the best of my knowledge, I could go outside and burn the American flag. Now, if I didn't have an open flame permit, I might be in trouble, but yeah, I, I, can, uh, I can burn the flag. Or uh, you can draw on the flag. Or... And that, you know what, if, as long as I'm assigning reading to our listeners and viewers, go read that opinion. In, uh, it was a Texas v. Johnson, right? Yeah, it's a great one, and that that is uh, just a, a beautiful opinion. It's really, maybe no issue, uh, First Amendment issue, draws as strong feelings in the minds of the citizenry as the right to burn the flag. It is uh, incredible to read that opinion. To to read, I want to say I think it's Kennedy in the majority and, and Rehnquist writing for the dissent. Uh, the passion of, of both. Uh, uh, in uh, defending their viewpoint uh, is is really something uh, to behold. And I think Scalia voted with the majority in that case. And you know, up until his death, he's like, I am a. He would always point to that as being like, I'm a free speech defender. I voted for flag burning. Right, right. This and great conservative icon. It's a it's a really interesting opinion. Yeah, and and you know, but it, it it's it's because of its polarizing nature, the right to burn a flag, I think, is one of the better known facets of First Amendment freedom, right? It kind of shows you uh, the contours and the depth of our commitment. So you'd think that if you're running for high office, if you're running for the uh, governorship of Kansas, that you'd you'd know about that and at least want to pay it some lip service. But because of the passion that the flag inspires, it's also an easy issue uh, to demagogue around. And I think that's what happened here. Free speech turning into a political football. Wow, when does that ever happen, right? Well, so, yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I think it's a winning issue in a in conservative states. There was uh, I, I was listening. I was at an event with David Cole, who's the uh, legal director at the ACLU, and he was he was talking about. I believe it was about this case, mm-hmm. and uh, it was handed out at the end, handed down from the court at the end of the term, as is often the case with mm-hmm. controversial cases. The Supreme Court it comes down at the end of June. And I believe it caused such an uproar in Congress. I was very young when this yes, opinion exactly came right. that that Congress actually called back into session on July fourth in order to vote on a resolution that condemned the ruling or to vote on something that would try and roll it back. Not that they could, because it is, is a constitutional concern. But I found that some very interesting history when we're talking about politicians demagoguing on constitutional issues. There's a follow-up case where you pass, they pass the law that attempts to deal with it, uh, and then Johnson and others in different states, as soon like at 1201, the day the law takes effect, they burn flags again and are promptly arrested, so it went right back up. It's a companion case to it, which I'm blanking on the name of. But yeah. yeah, I'll try and get it in the show notes. But Kansas has kind of been on our radar for many years dating back to 2014 when they approved a, a social media policy in the wake of a controversial case there involving a professor's, I believe, tweets about the NRA. 
Yeah, uh, Donald Guth, I think was his name. Uh, shame on the NRA or, or something like that. Goddamn the NRA. Yeah, like it was some, something in the wake of a, a mass shooting. In wake of a mass shooting. But anyway, um, for all for our purposes, they passed a social media policy, mm-hmm. which is one of the most restrictive that we've ever seen. And, and it applies to actually all member institutions within the Kansas system. And it restricts any speech on social media that, quote, impairs harmony among coworkers. Yeah, you know, someone would have been fun taking a picture of the flag and tweeted it out. A faculty member. That would have been fun. Yeah. Would have been I mean, fun. someone might have. We just have been catch it. The but the, the policies, yeah, still on the books today, so uh, they would be subject to it. Adam talked about the Strindisand effect before. You know, I bet you more people saw that flag uh, than, than would have seen it had the uh, governor... Uh, gubernatorial candidates not made an issue of it. Yeah. So the next school on our list is the University of North Alabama. And uh, Adam, I'm going to turn this one over to you to kind of discuss. It involves student journalists. And this is the year of student journalists, right? Mm-hmm. That is the year of the laws. student journalists. Say hello to uh, our friends at the Freedom Forum of the Museum. Uh, and the Student Press Law Center. It is the year of the student journalists. And stay tuned to FIRE's website, thefire.org, for more on that. Yeah, they have soon. some programming going on about it. I'm going to try and get a podcast mm-hmm. that focuses on student journalism. Mm-hmm. But uh, over at University of North Alabama, it's, it's also tough located to... in Utah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> North Utah? Yeah. Uh, Sorry. It's tough to be a student journalist at North Alabama, huh? Yeah, uh, especially as of late. Um, at University of North Alabama, the, the student newspaper uh, caught wind of a professor uh, who had been banned from campus uh, and a university vice president who had suddenly resigned with little to no explanation. So they asked for the personnel files under the uh, state's public records laws uh, and the administration uh, said no. Um, so the newspaper wrote about the denial of access to those records uh, and then the provost met with the, the student editors and the uh, newspaper's advisor um, to kind of chide them about you know, their coverage and um, about the issue. Uh, shortly after that meeting, uh, the advisor learned that his position was suddenly going to require the qualification of having a PhD. Uh, and lo and behold, he did not have a PhD. But he did have a lot of experience, right? He, I mean, he had uh, close to three decades of. of uh, uh, professional newsroom experience and experience with journalists. Um, so it looked you know, an awful lot like retaliation for uh, the student newspaper uh, covering things that the university did not really want to have uh, investigated. Uh, and the university came back and said, you know, no, it's we've been planning for years now to uh, transition this uh, position over to requiring a, a PhD. Uh, and they produced some emails that they said documented their uh, track record or their history of trying to change this position. And that, you know, reading the emails, it's hard to see how those actually support their position. It actually seems to kind of undermine it um, because it shows the university responding uh, to uh, critical coverage or coverage that the university was uh, not really fond of. Um, so we've uh, traded a couple uh, letters with the, the university um, and they have not taken us seriously. They have not taken this issue seriously. Um, And uh, it looks an awful lot like they are retaliating against this advisor um, in order to uh, put pressure on the newspaper. Um, Is the advisor still on staff? Yes. He hasn't left yet, but... But he's got a a timeline that has a definite end. Yeah. Unless the university reverses course, which we hope they would do. Do you really feel like we can comment on this without actually visiting the University of North Alabama? <laughs> yeah, the, fairly recently, uh, uh, someone at the university uh, criticized uh, our uh, putting them on the 10 worst list and, and uh, how the student newspaper covered uh, the university being placed on this list uh, and criticized the fact that we had not gone down uh, to the university to see firsthand their campus and what the state of free speech is like down there. Um, so you look at all these people talking. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Uh, except here's the thing. They also have a policy at UNA, uh, or had, it's unclear whether or not they still have it, uh, but they required statements to the media to be vetted by the administration. Uh, so if it's we went down... a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, North Korea. 
Uh, yeah, maybe maybe if we want to go to University of North Alabama, they'll give us a propaganda tour of campus. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we could, we could go down there, and if you consider us media, uh, we would have to get permission from uh, the administration in order to talk to people. Uh, so no, if we went down there, it would actually make our opinion worse. Yeah, and Adam, do you think we really have standing to comment on these kinds of issues, given that we also have a policy for the media? <laughs> we wrote a letter to the university uh, explaining how this policy was very clearly against the First Amendment, uh, because faculty members uh, and, uh, to a certain extent, staff have a First Amendment right to uh, talk to the media about issues of public concern in their private capacity. Uh, and we got a letter back that you know, we had to kind of read it through a couple times because it's really difficult to ter- determine whether or not they're being sarcastic. Uh, and they essentially say that uh, you, know, you at FIRE have this policy that uh, says you know, if you want to talk to the media, then you know, here's uh, Daniel. You can reach out to Daniel and Daniel will put you in touch with someone. Yeah, Daniel um, being Daniel Burnett, our... Uh Associate Director of Communications, you know, it, it, we, we have a contact us page where he says, if you're media, you know, we, we'd, love to, we'd love to speak with you. Um, and they were like, oh, you guys are just hypocrites, right? You direct yeah. people to your communications director. <laughs> Which wasn't even the, the argument we were trying to make because, you know, it's fine if they want to say, hey, here's a guy on our campus that you can contact and he'll put you in touch with the right people. The problem is, is that they were saying the people that we put you in touch with have to run everything through our PR guy. Yeah. Uh, two, uh, there is you know, also the, the significant difference that the University of North Alabama is uh, a public institution established by the government, mm-hmm. uh, which makes them subject to the First Amendment. Um, eminent domain. <laughs> last, <laughs> last I checked, we were not uh, you know, here at FIRE. We are not uh, an arm of the United States government. Um, if we were, I'd be walking out that door right now. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, as director of communications, I would be derelict in my duty if there are any journalists listening. If you want comment from Fire on an issue, you can email media at thefire.org and I will connect you to one of my esteemed colleagues. And then Nico will stand next to me while I'm on the phone with you. Yeah. <laughs> <Making sure>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not the only school in Alabama that's on this year's list. Uh, Alabama A&M University is on this list because it is the university in our spotlight on speech codes database with the most restrictive red light speech codes. It has a whopping five of them. And one of the policies that makes its way onto our list is a harassment policy that restricts uh, negative stereotyping, insulting comments or gestures, and comments that are merely related to an individual's age, race, gender, color, religion, national origin, disability, or sexual orientation. So if Earlier in this podcast, when I had referred to Creeley as Old Ben Creeley, no. when he was going through a story about the University of Wisconsin, that would technically fall within the ambit of I what this policy restricts because it is related to your age. Will. I will wrap you with my cane, so off my lawn. Another policy they have is one that regulates expression through the university's computer system, or it's an IT policy, we see these all the time, that restricts uh, harassing un- others by sending annoying or offensive messages. Uh, of Pretty course. broad. Of course, these are subjective. That's all of Adam's emails. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of my all tweets. Of, all of Twitter.com. <laughs> Annoying and offensive. Yes. So five red light policies. If you go to uh, the fire.org slash spotlight, go to Alabama A&M University's listing, you can see all five of these policies. That's why this university is on there. And like any other university with a speech code, we're always eager to work with administrators to reform them. And uh, if we get you all the way up to a green light, or you get yourself all the way up to the green light with our help, uh, we are happy to uh, praise you with a press release, as we've done a couple of times in recent weeks. Can I make an old man point here? Sure. To me, you know, when we were building this list and we thought, let's go talk to the folks over in Policy Forum, uh, Mary and Laura and Oz are the hardest working department of fire. Um, that's right. I'm leaving. <laughs> as our individual rights defense program sits across the table from us. And the communications department records me. Um, but when, oh, I just know, connect you to people. Yeah, so that's you right. You just, you do, yeah. So we looped them in. We said, look, we, we need another school to fill out this list. We need the, the school with the most red light speech policies. And, you know, I thought there was going to be a number to choose from. Mm-hmm. And it is a testament to just how good those colleagues of ours are at their job that, you know, it's down to just five policies, five red light policies. And one school was head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah. Used to be, in my day, there'd be a lot of such schools. And, <laughs> and they're a dying breed. 
<laughs> well, yeah. What, what did um, uh, the founders say when they wrote the First Amendment, Will? Well, <laughs> you were there, weren't you? you? See, I'm actually kind of I'm rocking back and forth in my chair now. I'm getting into this. <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, I'm but take the, a nap. It's, it's actually a good segue. You're talking about policy reform. You're talking about our red, yellow, green light ratings for speech codes. We have a school on this year's list that is actually a green light school. Oh, yeah. For that its, good... for its um, mm-hmm. policies. It has no restrictive speech codes on the books. Which you would think would mean that they're in the clear, right? Yes. Green light school. They love free speech. We've probably sent out a press release praising them. Yeah, if they're green, then we probably did unless... Unless something else came up and yeah. we didn't want it. But yeah, no, we have green light schools, cream of the crop, right? Yeah. Not in this case. Plymouth State University. Plymouth State University in New Hampshire uh, fired a professor uh, and disciplined another for their involvement in a criminal sentence hearing. Now, folks who have been sentenced criminally <laughs> or are aware <laughs> of the judicial process uh, will know that oftentimes you'll have an opportunity to solicit letters uh, of support uh, or statements from folks who have known you. Because there'll be a sentencing hearing that determines just how long right. and, your and, sentence is. And, and letters from the general public to impact the sentencing either, you know, ask the judge to impose a stricter sentence if he or she has that discretion or uh, to ask for a more lenient uh, sentence if, if such a thing is possible. Um, here you had a, uh, a guidance counselor at a Exeter High School uh, and a former Plymouth State University student, uh, this young woman pled guilty to sexually assaulting uh, one of her students at Exeter High School. And uh, at the sentencing hearing, the uh, uh, guidance counselor received letters of support, including a letter authored by a PSU professor named Michael Fischler. Uh, another PSU professor, uh, Professor Nancy Strapko, served as a paid expert witness in the case uh, and wrote a letter uh, to... Uh, the guidance counselor's attorney attesting to her progress uh, in therapy and her remorse, right? So kind of typical run-of-the-mill sentencing letters, you know, like, hey, uh, go easy on her, you know, or here's the progress she's making, she accepts what she's done, et cetera. Um, But given the uh, obvious uh, controversy surrounded by the fact pattern, by the underlying uh, facts that, that led to the, uh, the, the conviction, uh, it was a hot button issue and people were outraged that Plymouth State University professors had provided uh, these statements in support uh, of, a, of a more lenient sentence uh, uh, for the guidance counselor. And Plymouth State University, instead of standing up and saying, look, this is part of the civic process, you know, this is, this is what we do in our system under the rule of law, this is how the, the justice system works, Plymouth State said, yep, you're right. Out they go. You know, how dare they? Uh, and again, setting aside as one must the underlying uh, context and just thinking about the principle being said here, what Plymouth State University has done is saying, green light rating be damned if what our professors do in their public lives or in their private lives about uh, participating in the public process of a civic uh, mm-hmm. proceeding like a criminal sentencing hearing, if that offends enough people, we'll fire them. Yeah. And that is chilling. I mean, that is, is just uh, shocking to us. Yeah, the, these faculty members were tr- trying to provide more information to the court about someone who was found guilty of a crime at the court's request. I mean, mm-hmm. the court actively solicits this sort of information um, from anyone who's willing to provide it. Uh, and for doing that, the, these folks lost their jobs. I mean, it's a chilling precedent for anyone who cares about the integrity of our of our criminal justice system. Yeah, and as Adam was alluding to before, you know, you, professors at public universities retain their right to speak out as private citizens on matters of public concern, um, broadly speaking, generally speaking. And, you know, a sentencing hearing in a, in a high-profile, controversial case like this it certainly qualifies as a... A matter of public concern. And, and we should say, I don't know if you mentioned this, Will, that the person being sentenced here was a former student. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's just a, a shocking uh, abdication of their responsibilities at public university to respect uh, First Amendment rights of faculty. So they, they earned their spot on this, on this list. The, the green light rating is great, but the written policies have to match the practice on the ground. And in this instance, it did not. It shockingly diverged from that green light. So that was the last school on our list. 
what a diverse list of schools and cases. I mean, let's just run down the list again. Mm -hmm. Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, University of North Alabama, Syracuse University, Alabama A&M Alabama University, University of Kansas, Dixie State University, Georgetown University in Qatar, Liberty University, University of Wisconsin, Plymouth State University. I mean, a lot of these aren't culture war cases. Uh, student journalists, lots of speech codes, uh, international speech, uh, with intersections of blasphemy law. Yeah, yeah it um, is a sparkling constellation of censorship, you know, real cornucopia. But they are all in Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, when you look at them listed like that, it really prompts the burning question that I know is on the minds of all of our listeners. That's 10, 10 bad cases of censorship on campus. Is it a crisis? <laughs> <laughs> we can't get into that one right now. Yeah, yeah. We have, we've already done two podcasts on that. We can't do a third. But I urge our, our listeners or our viewers, because this is going to go up on YouTube as well, uh, to visit the list at thefire.org. Yeah. Uh, just type in the search bar, 10 Worst Colleges for Free Speech, or go to the listening for this podcast. and uh, Can I, can I just say one more thing on that? Sure. We, as we long talk, as you're not going back to the I'll, 19th I'll, century. I'm going to be good. <laughs> the, the, uh, well, <laughs> almost. Right? But the reason we started this list in the first place back in 2011 is because sometimes cases will hit for us that we are outraged by and we don't think they get enough attention. You know, uh, None of these cases was on the front page of you know um, popular websites that discuss issues of the day that will go unnamed here. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Or at least not very many of them. And it's important for us, I think, we are uniquely qualified to show supporters and the general public the uh, breadth uh, of the uh, problem of censorship on campus. Yeah. We had a couple of nice comments on Twitter to that uh, effect, and so I'm glad that people noticed that you know, we really do deal with a lot of cases, not just um, you know, the ones that capture the public imagination or show up on cable news. Yeah, if you want a kind of a snapshot of the censorship that happens on campus in any given year, like Go to our website, go to the resources tab under there. We have all of our 10 worst colleges for free speech lists since 2011. Just look at those schools that are on there. Uh, look at the you know, first or second sentence, figure out why they're on there. And uh, it's, it's really a, a diverse re reason. I mean, mm -hmm. censors are creative. They come up with unique reasons for censorship. Like eminent domain. <laughs> yeah, like eminent domain. So uh, thefire.org, you can find the list with the descriptions of the school's misdeeds. And as always, this podcast is hosted and produced by me, Nico Perino, and recorded and edited by Aaron Reese. To learn more about So To Speak, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash freespeechtalk or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. You can email me feedback at sotospeak at thefire.org. Uh, we also periodically take questions for future shows at 215-315-0100. Calling that number will lead you straight to the voicemail. You leave your name, your question, and we'll play it on the future show. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and my conversation with my colleagues, Adam, Sarah, and Will, uh, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. These reviews help us attract new listeners to the show. And until next time, I thank you, my colleagues, uh, for joining me. And I thank you, our listeners and viewers, uh, for tuning in. Thank you. <laughs>